Well, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy 4th of July weekend to you. We are glad that you're spending a little bit of your weekend here with us. My name is Stephen, and I am one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time with us or maybe first time back in a while, we are really, really glad to see you. We know summer, with all of the travel and things, our schedules and our rhythms get disrupted. And so if you are kind of recommitting to kind of the, the rhythm and the habit of coming to church, we're glad for that. You picked a good Sunday to be here because we are talking about, um, we have been and will continue to be talking about all summer long, uh, this idea of vices and virtues. And so if you missed the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up to speed. This is what we have identified a vice or a virtue as. They are a habit or a pattern of action that forms your character. Uh, a consistency in deed, consistency in the choices that you make, the actions that you take part of that, be kind of, that become these well-worn grooves in our life that incline us more likely to choose those same patterns of behavior again and again and again. Well, when you have those things and they become habits, it begins to shape and form who you are and who you become. And the choice really is what are the habits in your life and how are they forming you? It's not do you have habits, but what kind of habits do you have? In what way do they form you in your life? And really, the whole project of Christian discipleship, the whole goal of being a follower of Jesus Christ, is to form ourselves into the example of Christ. And so it stands to reason, then, that vices and virtues are actually really helpful lenses to evaluate our lives, to examine our lives, to determine, okay, are the habits that I have, are they more in the line of vices that form me into something other than the person of Christ? Or are they in the habit and in the form of virtues that form me towards the person of Christ? That's really the choice. And if you're kind of on the fence about the whole Christianity thing, sometimes it just helps you be a nicer person. So at the very end of the day, like at least you're fun to be around and you're not like a bore or a bother to anybody around you. So you can kind of insert yourself where you will about why this might be relevant to you. But this is really what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. And so we've identified seven vices that we need to avoid, that we need to kind of undo the habits in our lives, and then their corresponding virtues, that pattern after the person of Christ that we're trying to emulate, that we're trying to adopt and, and you know, kind of create this rhythm and habit and pattern in our own life. Now, what we said in week one is that all seven of these, and you may be familiar with this list, but all seven of these start and originate with pride. It is a disordering of how we were designed to love. The way that we were designed to love is to love God, others, and ourselves in that order, God, other, self. Now, with pride, and kind of with the original sin of pride, it inverts that order. We love ourselves first. And so all of these stem from, if you were to imagine a tree, if pride is the trunk of the tree, these seven vices are kind of the major branches of these trees, and then all the sins and, and behaviors that we do that you know are contrary to the Example of Christ, they kind of flow from these seven vices. So we may know this list as the seven deadly sins. Uh, a better description would be the seven capital vices. Capital is in like head, like they kind of originate, they're the original sources of all of the sin in our life. So this is the list that we've been working through. And so the last two weeks we talked about gluttony and sloth. Today we're going to be talking about wrath. 
Now, wrath or anger, like the last couple of weeks, needs a bit of redefinition and you know, kind of reclamation work because for many of us, anger feels like a normal emotion. If we've kind of done any work in therapy or read anything into psychology, we recognize that anger is a normal emotion. Well, what's kind of a little tricky about the topic today is even Scripture and kind of Christian tradition can't really seem to make up their minds as to where to draw the line and how to define and differentiate between anger and wrath. And so I'm just going to solve it all for us in Christianity this morning. So this is what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians about being angry. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 26. He says this. He says, be angry without sinning. So it seems to be that there's a place for anger in our lives just as long as it doesn't lead you to sin. But unhelpfully, four verses later, he says, get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and shouting and slander together with all malice. So we're still left in this place of like, what is it that we're actually supposed to do? And how do we differentiate between anger that's normal and good in wrath that seems to be this vice. Well, we're going to kind of continue to wrestle and define this, but Thomas Aquinas kind of helped us differentiate between anger as a normal passion, an emotion that we all feel, and then wrath, which seems to be this pattern of habit that seems to be a distorted version of anger. So this is what we're going to be using as our definition for anger this morning. Anger is the feeling that arises in response to A delay, trouble, or suffering that we experience in our lives or in the world. Now, anytime you don't get what you want, or you see something happening that seems contrary to how it's supposed to happen, anger is the the emotion that typically arises inside of us. It can be something that's happening to you, something can be happening to a loved one, something that can be happening to someone in the world, but we perceive something isn't working the way it's supposed to work. Something isn't happening the way that it should happen. There seems to be a wrong being done, an injustice occurring, and anger is the emotion that bubbles up. It starts to kind of fill us with that sense of like, my face is flushed, my chest feels tight, you know, the blood rushes to my hands. It's that fight sensation in our kind of fight or flight response that gets triggered in our minds and in our bodies. We all have instances where we can easily recall how quickly and accessible anger is in our life. There might be lots of things that you can recall about the times when you've gotten angry. Maybe on the way to church this morning, there was an instance that kind of summoned your anger. It's because something went different than the way that we wanted it to go. Now, within Christianity, there is this tiny little sliver of anger that we would call righteous anger. This is when things don't happen, not the way that we want them to, but the way that God has designed them to, the way that the world is supposed to work. This is kind of the emotion that that rises within us in response to injustices in the world. Not, they cut in front of me in traffic, or they took my parking spot as I was waiting to pull in, or any of the things that we typically associate with causes for anger, but this category in which human rights violations, abuse, mistreatment of people, the ways that we see that things aren't working the way that God intended them to work, particularly as it impacts people. There's some violation 
of the way that we know that people are supposed to be treated, cared for, the way that God loves us and would want us to love and care for each other that seems to be in violation. There's some injustice happening in the world, and then we feel this swell of anger in response to that. That's totally normal, righteous anger. And that's not what we're talking about today. Because my guess is most of the trouble and the difficulty that we have in our lives doesn't come from that form of anger. It's not the times where we have this swell of righteous anger and we need to figure out how we manage that. No, no, no. It's often not because of an injustice done in the world, but an injustice done in our world. So that would actually be better categorized as wrath. And let me, someone more eloquently framed wrath in this way. Wrath is the love of justice perverted into the desire for revenge and for the injury of someone else. Justice is the proclaimed motive for every manifestation of wrath. We've already identified that anger is this feeling that we experience in the face of injustice, but wrath is kind of the distortion, the twisting of that to an injustice that occurs to us. It's the love of justice perverted into the desire for revenge and the injury of someone else. This is a simpler way to say it. Wrath is our distorted response to a distorted sense of injustice. Basically, it wrestles with, wrath wrestles with what makes us angry and how we are responding to that anger. Those are kind of the two questions for us to wrestle with today as it relates to spiritual formation and the experience of wrath in our own life. Even if we don't use that language, even if we think about it just in terms of the word anger, I'll use them interchangeably this morning because we use them primarily in the context of anger in our own life. But like, we all know those moments. We all know those moments when we might feel this disproportionate response to something that happened because we didn't get what we wanted. At the, at the end of the day, if you boil it all down to what's happened, someone says something to you in an unkind way, a, a colleague or a coworker, you know, maybe didn't give you the credit that you deserve on the project, your kids, they didn't listen to what you asked them to do for the 37th time and they still didn't clean their room or they didn't, whatever it was, there's something that gets violated that we have this emotional response to. But the problem occurs when it gets distorted when this anger and the sense of injustice gets distorted because it is all based on our sense of self there are things that we protect we want to guard against that anger is a useful tool for the problem with wrath though is when all of the things that we want to protect and guard against align with our sense of self our kind of prideful self our control our reputation our um our relationships these things that we want to manage, we want to protect, that get violated. We have these occurrences in our life all the time. This is kind of the way that we are familiar with interacting with each other. People bump into us, you know, literally and figuratively, and then we respond in anger against them. If you turn on the TV, if you open your phones, if you navigate news or social media, this seems to be the default mode in which we interact with each other. Kind of this over-exaggerated response to these issues. If we disagree with you about an idea or topic, we feel now like you have violated our sense of how the world should work or our sense of how uh, an idea should be interacted with or some policy or some principle. And instead of having a measured, appropriate response, 
we now go to character defamation as our first resort, not our last resort. We don't even argue over the merits of these topics or ideas. We just start to criticize and attack your character. This is what cancel culture is all about. It's not saying always that the target or the thing that you're upset about is wrong because it has to be a balance of both. It has to be a balance of appropriateness over why you're angry and appropriateness over your response to that sense of anger or the thing that causes and triggers your anger. This is why all of the stuff that is just happening in our world and the way that people talk to each other is so corrosive and so toxic and so poisonous because it's all based on wrath. We have created these well-worn habits in our lives, in our friendships, in our cultures and societies that constantly degrade and tear down and antagonize and attack each other. And we think it's normal. That's just how we're supposed to interact with each other. But from a Christian perspective, I mean, Paul makes it really clear. You've got to get rid of all of that. Every form of the way that this anger manifests in a distorted, inappropriate way, all of that has to go. What we're not saying here is that you can't be angry. You can't feel the sense of anger. There are appropriate things to be angry about. But when you feel anger about something that maybe is not the appropriate thing to be angry about or you express that anger in an inappropriate way, that's where the trouble occurs. And because wrath is so focused on the way that we would create the world, our sense of how things should be, our sense of control, our sense of security, our sense of you know, notoriety or achievement or whatever it is that ends up getting violated that we respond to wrathfully, because it's all based on that, wrath is always like manipulative in that sense. It lies to us. In fact, there's this really interesting quote that I want to share with you by Frederick Buecher, Buechner, um, who talks about the way that wrath misleads us, the way that it distorts our sense of justice. This is what he says. He says, of the seven deadly sins, wrath is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over the grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. We all know that moment. It's like, oh, just wait till I get a hold of them. Whether we say it to somebody else or just wait till I see them again. We start to fantasize about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, what we're going to do, the way that we're going to do it. You know, we just kind of feel like all of the molecules in our body boiling and like starting to like just kind of shake. You're like, oh, here it goes. I'm about to get them. And then someone's next to you like, yeah, get them. You know, and we're just like ready for it. It's like we enjoy this, but it's, it's not the way that we're supposed to live. He goes on, he says, to savor that last toothsome morsel both the pain you were given and the pain you were giving back. In many ways, it is a, fee, a feast fit for a king. This is him describing wrath. But here's the problem. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is actually yourself. And the skeleton at the feast is you. We all know those moments or those seasons or those people in our lives where wrath became toxic and corrosive, where they became consumed, where you became consumed with your anger and your frustration. You can't see past it. And it poisons all of your thoughts. It poisons all of your interactions. Maybe it poisoned that relationship for a season of time. 
It doesn't mean that somewhere in all of that there wasn't an original just reason to be angry. But it swelled and it distorted over time and now you have been consumed by the very thing that kind of started all of this. See, this is the problem, or one of the problems with wrath is that it's always self-rationalizing and it's always self-deceiving. There's no version of our wrath that we elicit into the world that we don't have justification for. There's no version of it that we're like, yeah, that was way out of line. Not in the moment. It's only with time and space and distance or maybe we a- are we able to look back and say, oh, that was probably a little heavy-handed. I may- maybe I flew off the handle on that one. No, always in the moment when we're consumed by this emotion, when we're kind of lost to the grip of it, we're like, oh, yeah, I've got a good reason to be upset. I feel well in line with my sense of you know, righting the injustice that's occurred. We rationalize it to ourselves, but it lies to ourselves because it's never about the greater good. It's always a, about our good. It's never really about restoring things to their proper order. It's restoring things to our preferred order. This is always the twist that happens between wrath and righteous anger, which is why righteous anger is usually not a category that we wrestle with. It's the way that we overreact to things that go on in the world that shouldn't elicit that reaction. Maybe we didn't get what we want. So? Why do we feel entitled that everything should happen the way that we want at all times? There's this perverted sense of self-righteousness, of self-entitlement, of self-control that we carry into our wrestling with wrath. I mean, I don't want to mislead you. This is, this is a struggle for me because I've got a really good reason why I want everything the way that I want it, right? Just like you do because we know best, right? If everything went the way that we wanted it, if, if people would just listen to me or listen to you, we could fix all of this stuff. Everybody could get to where they want to go on time. I don't understand traffic. If we just all accelerated at the exact same speed at the exact same moment, visit, like theoretically, we could all just move faster, the same volume of cars on the highway. All of the ways that we get frustrated in the world is because we're not getting what we want, and we have a good reason to want what we want the way that we want and when we want. But again, think about the object and the orientation of all of that. It's ourselves. It's a love of self over love of others and love of God. This is the way that wrath is connected to that original kind of sin of pride. It puts us as the focal point and the lens and the filter through which everything should be evaluated. One of the ways that we experience wrath, or one of the kind of the ways that we wrestle with wrath, is we lose sight of the things that should make us angry. We become self-focused, self-absorbed, like we've just discussed. That's kind of the what. But the other issue with wrath is the how. It's the ways in which we express our anger and express our wrath. Because to be categorized as wrath, doesn't, it doesn't need to satisfy both the what and the how. Just one of those. If you're angry about the wrong things or you're angry about the right thing in the wrong way, that falls into the category of wrath. And Thomas Aquinas kind of characterized three different ways we get the expression of anger incorrect. The ways that 
um, our sense gets distorted and twisted. And this is what he says about our expressions of, of our anger. So three ways, irritability, volatility, and resentment. Irritability. We get anger too easily. Just a slight little thing, and all of a sudden it sets us off. Maybe these are the people that you recognize that, oh, you got to walk on eggshells around them because any little thing will trigger their ire, their fury. You never know what you, ha- what you can say, what you can't say. These people are just generally irritable, and they're a whole lot of fun to be around, aren't they? Yeah. This is one of the ways that wrath manifests in our life, this distorted expression, is we're just, just kind of that trigger here. Anything's going to set us off. We're just always irritable, ready to be upset about the next little thing. The next way that it expresses itself is volatility. We go to zero to 60 immediately. It's like, oh, did you see? I mean, just fly off the handle. Boom, these big expressions of anger. And it's like, whoa, that seems disproportionate to what just happened. We all know those people where it's like somebody cuts, cuts them in line at the grocery store or, you know, some request doesn't happen the way that they want it and the timing that they want it. And it's this huge kind of verbal outlet, you know, just unbelievable language, over-the-top response. This happens a lot on social media. It's like these comment sections, which don't, just stay out of the comments. Don't even read them. Don't even, don't reply to them. Like, it's just a general, like, life, like, piece of wisdom. Just stay out of the comment section because this is what happens. It's like we go from zero to 60 in the comments. And it's just like, ah, this is the way that we do these, these character assassinations, character assaults. It's just volatile. It's disproportionate response to what happened. And then the last is resentment. We just stay angry too long. What we're angry about has long been passed, and it's just still simmering. It's just still festering inside of us, just gnawing at us. We won't let it go. We haven't moved on. We haven't forgiven. We haven't released the wrong that's been done to us. It's like kind of this treasured possession, like this little pet rock that we just keep and we just you know, take care of it and nurture it because we don't want to let go. Why? Because ultimately, ultimately, all of this is, is about a response that tries to restore our sense of control. It's focused and twisted around self-love. And so if we live in a way that people never know what to expect or how we might react. They're constantly, in a sense, in a twisted sense, under our control, under our influence. And if we're resentful and we live with resentment, then what happens is we get to stay in control about the issue that happened because we get to direct our anger back towards that situation, that person, that action, again and again and again. It's not real control. It's just this illusion, this perceived control that we operate with. This is the way that wrath manifests in our lives. And I know that we're all thinking of all of these examples, kind of how this happens and the way that we're guilty of this. And so if this is the issue, if this is the issue of wrath, kind of as defined as a vice, this pattern and pattern and habit of getting anger too easily, getting too angry or staying angry too long about the wrong things, about our own sense of control, wishes, wants, preferences, then what's the virtue that we need to move from? If we're moving from vice into virtue, then what's, what's the virtue? 
And there are a couple that have been suggested as kind of a counterpoint to wrath. But I think the best one that we can move from as it relates to wrath today is the virtue of patience. And that's the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry. Patience. Again, there's like, we build up these vices and then we tell you the virtues and you're like, oh, that's not any fun. The vices are way more fun, right? The, the virtues, you're like, oh, how is church fine? What they talk about? Being patient. Like, nobody, nobody wants to, <laughs> we know, but we don't want to, like, do it. It's like, ugh, womp, womp. But really, think about it. If wrath is getting angered inappropriately about the wrong things or angered in the wrong way, patience is the ability to endure all of those things that happen, all of those potential causes, all those potential injustices to us, not the world, but to us, to our self-interest, to our self-love, to our own desires and wants and preferences. It's the ability and the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering. We experience this all the time. I mean, this is the one thing you can count on in life is delay, trouble, and suffering. It's like the guarantee in life is that you leave these doors and guess what's going to happen? Delay, trouble, or suffering. And if it's a bad Sunday, you might experience it here. I mean, like, it's just a fact. And so really this virtue is crucial because we're always going to have cause to be angry. We're always going to have cause to be wrathful, to express our displeasure at what happened in maybe some disproportionate way. But the virtue of patience allows us to create a little space, to create a little distance, and to acknowledge maybe that, oh, that didn't happen the way that I want. It's not to ignore like what's happening in life. It's not to turn a blind eye to any of the ways that people treat you or to be you know, permissive of bad behavior in your relationships and in your life. That's not what it's talking about. But it's about keeping things in their proper order and their proper place. If wrath is a disordering of anger, then patience creates the space to reorder anger appropriately. This is what Scripture says as kind of why patience is this virtue. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As it relates to our anger, speed kills. Patience allows us to tap the brakes and to create a little space and to create a little distance to ask ourselves the questions, why am I angry? And what should my response be? That's the distance that we need. Those are the two violations of anger that get distorted, distorted into wrath. What makes us angry and how are we responding? And so patience gives us distance to slow down and to reflect, okay, what is it that I'm actually angry about? Is this an injustice in the world that needs to be righted? Or is this just an inconvenience to my world? And then, depending on the answer to that question, okay, then what should my response be? Ecclesiastes says it this way. It says, patience is better than pride. I don't think it's a coincidence that it kind of juxtaposes patience and pride because wrath, the antidote, or patience, the antidote to wrath, originates from this source of pride I want things my way. It says, patience is better than pride. Don't be quick to anger, for anger lives in the fool's heart. Now, kind of 
in this time period when they're writing Ecclesiastes, this person of a fool was a person who got life wrong. It was kind of juxtaposed with somebody who knew how to live well and then someone who didn't know how to live well, who caused problems for themselves and life was difficult and hard and they made mistake after mistake. It's not like silly, like we think a fool, but it's like, kind of like we would say just a loser, just somebody who can't get it right. This is what scripture says. It's like anger lives in the fool's heart. They're overcome by it. They're possessed by it. And then in Thessalonians, it says this, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil. Always pursue the good of each other and everyone else. Be patient with everyone. And then kind of modern day uh, wisdom writing, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and that's really what we're talking about, right? Patience. It's like tapping the brakes. And not allowing yourself to get consumed by the anger and the wrath that you feel. That was because I knew it was 4th of July weekend. I was like, somebody's going to fall asleep this morning. I'm just going to insert a little ice cube and see if, see if people catch it. But if the goal is to move us from vice to virtue, from wrath towards patience, I think the spiritual disciplines are the way that we do that. Each week, we're identifying a vice, we're identifying a virtue, and talking about what it takes to help us bridge the gap to move from one pattern and habit into another pattern and habit. And for us, as we try to let go of our anger and wrath and move to a place of patience, I think this simple discipline would be helpful. And it's just a discipline and a practice of self-examination. Again, it's about as exciting as patience as a virtue. But it's just asking yourself in reflection these questions. Why am I angry? What is the intensity of my anger? And how should I respond? Why am I angry? What is the intensity of my anger? And how should I respond? These are designed to force you to check yourself. Because the tendency is that when we don't, we wreck ourselves. So how do we slow down? How do we begin to experience a little patience? How do we create a little reflective distance from ourselves and the incident, the event, the person, whatever it is, and begin to evaluate, to ask ourselves, to examine our hearts about what's going on inside of us? So why am I angry? Is this a rational, normal thing to be upset about? Is, what is this based on? Is this based on just my preference and I'm upset that I didn't get what I wanted? Or is this because somebody has violated a value in our relationship? Someone has betrayed a sense of confidence or something? Is there something greater, some greater injustice that was violated that this anger that I'm feeling is an appropriate response to? Or is this because I want stuff my way when I want it how I want it? Which is it? Then the next question is, okay, what's the intensity of my anger? Am I appropriately angry at said reason? So once you identify the reason, start to evaluate, am I feeling anger in an appropriate measure? Now, that may not be clear in the, in the immediate moment, because again, like we said, wrath is self-deceiving and self-rationalizing. So you're like, of course I have every right to be angry. And if you say it to yourself that way, the answer is probably no. It's probably a little too much. But like, what's, what's the level of intensity? If someone, you know, 
you know, manipulate something and it impacts me or if somebody, you know, cuts me off in traffic. If you're the type to, like, pull up beside and to, like, give the mean face or, you know, certain hand gestures or whatever it might be, like, is that, is that the appropriate intensity of the violation that's just occurred in your life? My guess is, do you know the answer to that? No. And then the last question is, how should I respond? And this question is worded intentionally because it isn't, what should my reaction be? But you see, there's a difference between responses and reactions. One leads with action and follows with thought. The other leads with thought and follows with action. And we want responses. We want to lead with thought first. We want to think through, okay, why am I angry? Well, I'm angry because such and such and such and such. And it's an actual appropriate violation, an injustice that's occurred. Okay, what's the intensity of my anger? Well, it feels pretty, you know, pretty equal to the offense that's happened. Okay, now how should I respond? Is it firing off that angry email that then we regret, that we wish we wouldn't have sent? Maybe not put everything in caps lock. You know, maybe don't leave the voice message until you've had a moment to cool down. Like we have time and space to reflect to appropriately measure, okay, how is it that I want to respond? Okay, well, if someone's violated some value within a relationship, it's like, hey, such and such and such and such occurred. I didn't like that. Here's why I felt like it was a violation of our boundaries or a violation of my boundary or something um, that we previously discussed or agreed upon and it didn't happen. My expectations were this. My experience was this. I would like such and such as a way to make right this wrong that's been done. That's way different than you bleep, 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 bleep. How could you, you know, bleep, 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 bleep. Those are, one's a reaction, one's a response. This practice of self-examination gives us the space and the distance to evaluate, to examine, and then to appropriately respond. It helps us put back in proper order our loves. All right, God, I'm really upset right now. What's this about? God, is this just my own ego? Did I get embarrassed by what happened? Did I feel like they don't give me enough respect and they should have responded a different way? Well, am I appropriately angry? No, it feels like I've been thinking about this for the last three weeks and I won't let it go. And every time I'm in the shower, I like kind of litigate the conversation and I win every single time because I've got really good points that I, you know, I haven't quite communicated yet. So should I, how should I respond? Should I just continue to give them the cold sh- shoulder and, and ignore these people in my life and just cut them off for good? Or should I thoughtfully, intentionally, prayerfully word a text message or an email to communicate my frustration or to communicate why I've been hurt or wronged in this way? This practice allows us the space to develop the patience to endure all of the delay the trouble and the suffering that we'll experience in this life. This isn't an easy road. This isn't an easy thing to do because of all of the vices that we encounter, anger, wrath, are probably the ones that feel most familiar, the ones that we maybe feel the most entitled to. That's kind of that self-rationalizing effect of wrath on our life. But the good news is is we don't have to just kind of white-knuckle it and try a little harder and do it on our own this whole reformation towards the person of Christ happens because of the power 
of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. And that power is what we celebrate in the sacrament of communion that we're going to celebrate here in a minute. As we take the bread and we take the juice, we recognize that we are inviting Christ into our lives to help us make this shift from vice into virtue. Let me pray for us and then we'll invite the band up so we get ready to celebrate communion. Gracious God, we are so grateful for the opportunity to gather here together this morning. God, as we come before you, help us to begin to identify all of the causes for anger and frustration in our life. God, help us to not react, to not respond quickly and abruptly and immediately, but to have space and distance to evaluate, to examine, and to begin to understand a little bit more about why we're angry and how we can begin to respond appropriately and prayerfully. God, as we move from this place into the sacrament of communion, God, help us to trust your spirit that's at work within us. That's not on our own power, our own ability, but it's you at work in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.